Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. I'm going to review the meanings of tzitzit today. We're going to try to connect it to this last line about Exodus from Egypt. We'll try to put it together and we'll see if we can put the whole Shema together. That might be too ambitious to do today, but I'm going to try to do that. That's what I'm going to strive to do. Next Tuesday is Rosh Chodesh, when I'm always ambivalent about having class because if we have time or not. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a mini class. I'm giving myself an assignment, although anyone else can have this assignment also in addition to me, for a history report on the history of tzitzit. I was thinking like, okay, this talit katan or the tev, you know, tzitzis you were under your clothes or the tevya kind of tzitzis. You know, what century did people start wearing that? And when did they start wearing a big talit like ours in shul? I actually don't know the answer to that. And, uh, you know, Philo wrote in the first century, I think, BCE, and Josephus in the first century CE. And what do they say Jews wear? Um, I seem to remember various frescoes, I guess, from ancient synagogues. Well, I seem to remember a picture of Ezra reading from the Torah, but he's not wearing anything like a talit. Uh, but I got to go check and look at that again. So it'd be interesting to know. Um, the Talmud, the Talmud has a midrash that when God first uttered the 13 attributes of mercy in Parshat Kitisa in Exodus, that God as it were, wrapped God's self in a talit, like a chazan, and taught Moshe the 13 attributes. So this, I don't know, does that suggest the chazan wore the talit, but not the other people in shul in, at in the moment that that midrash was composed? So I don't know all that much about the history of all that stuff. So I'm going to try to look into it and give you a little history report to the best of my ability. And anyone else can look it up and find whatever you can find. So that's what I'm going to try to aim to do next week as the capstone project for talking about CT. So that's just to look ahead and then we'll move on from that paragraph. Okay. Um, and I guess I haven't said it officially, but I might as well say that now that no one has to, uh, sorry, I don't want to say no one. Now that most people aren't, physically rushing out of shul to drive to the office. I think Sidur class runs till about 8.40, 8.45 every week. So I'm giving people the news of something you figured out months ago. <laughs> okay, here we are. Third paragraph. So we talked last time about several meanings of the tzitzit. Why would the tzitzit remind people of all of the mitzvot so that you shall not stray? We had a number of explanations. We had the Talmud's explanation that Tchelet, the blue thread, is like the sea, makes you think of the sea. The sea makes you think of the sky, and the sky makes you think of God's throne. By the way, I said this was because, you know, of the image that God lives in the sky. Possibly it, it's really because because it actually mentions God's throne, the Kiseha Kavod. Um, Ezekiel's vision of God on the throne says that there was the throne sits on a sapphire pavement. I seem to recollect that. Okay. So it may not be just, it reminds you of the sky and God lives in the sky, but rather it reminds you of the sky 
And that's where God's throne on the sapphire pavement is, meaning it's all a color association, sea, sky, throne. Okay? So it's either the Tchelet as a reminder. That's one possible explanation. We had the gematria or the <laughs> adding up of the numbers of the word tzitzit and the mechanics of the fringes to add up to a total of 613. Okay. Rashi says that, by the way. Um, we had the idea that um, Tchelet and Fringes is something that the Kohen Gadol wore. So it's a little bit of a marker or reminder to the individual Jew that we are part of Mamlechet Kohanim Vigoy Kadosh, as it says in Exodus, a nation of priests. In other words, rather than we are just Joshmo commoners and it's only the Kohanim who are close to God. In fact, we each have a reminder to ourselves in our daily lives, that we are like a Kohen in service of God. And then we had the fourth idea, which Meyer raised, which was, Meyer, you didn't use this word, but I'm going to use this word. It's a kind of uniform, that if everyone is wearing the same uniform, you have a marker and other people have that marker. This makes you all together part of the same team, (laughs) the God team. Sforno uh, says, uh, the commentator says a little, something a little bit like this. He says, um, it's like a chotam is the word he uses, uh, which really means signet or insignia. That'd be a better word, insignia, that a um, eved, a servant wears to show that he belongs to his master. Okay. Um, an image which can have some disturbing aspect to it. Um, but uh, so I, I thought of that as, okay, you know, all of, the ma- all of the servants in the master's household wear a particular uniform, and that's how you know that they w- serve that master. We serve Hashem. We wear our master's uniform as an insignia, right? And Meyer commented on how that creates a kind of group spirit to it. I'm not the only one who's devoted Hashem service. We, as a team, the Jewish people are devoted Hashem, to Hashem service. So these are some of the <laughs> ideas we talked about last time um, to try to understand why would wearing a fringe with a blue thread, why would one specific commandment remind you of all of the commandments so much so that this would keep you from straying? By the way, there are, you know, stories of in the Talmud, I can think of at least one, I'm sure you've heard rabbis tell them of the rabbi who goes to visit the famous prostitute far away. And as the rabbi takes his clothes off and he is about to sin, what happens? He must see tzitzit. The tzitzit, like his his tzitzit, undergarment tzitzit flies up sort of in his, you know, as he's undressing and this reminds him of who he is in God's meets vote and he does not sin. Right. So this has been used actually in a concrete way, a concrete storytelling kind of way to say, Oh no, if people wear this thing, then it will prevent it. It will actually remind them of the meets vote so that they will not stray after their whoring eyes in a literal kind of way. Excuse me. 
Any other thoughts? So I've just pulled together all the thoughts we shared last week. Any other thoughts about why tzitzit would remind you of all the mitzvot? Anyone come up with anything else in your reading or in your thinking? I just had a thought. Yep. Um, you know how common it is for us to wear watches? And we wear a watch so we can remember that we're sort of linked to something called time, which is a conceptual thing, right? Uh-huh. Sense is not physical. Uh, but that's something that we would look at. and we. So I think it's uh, uh, there's something to that in the sense that there's something that we use in our clothing or in our dress that's a reminder for something else. It's a physical marker, right? Because otherwise, how else would you have a, a constant reminder of something? I take issue with, with Mayer's assertion that time is not physical. But... Oh, okay, I got it. The physics class meets at a different time. <laughs> okay, thank you. The, the Einstein class is later today. Um, okay, any, any other thoughts about why CC? We're not getting yet to why is this paragraph here at all. We'll get to that. Okay. But any other thoughts about why CC is a reminder of everything? It's a very interesting idea, right? I just like to point out, I mean, I, I off the top of my head, I can't, you know, we have other things in Deuteronomy, like read the Torah to all the people so that they, once every seven years, so that they will remember their commitment. Or the king needs to keep a copy of the Torah uh, with him so that he remembers to follow in God's paths. But other than that, I can't really think of other mitzvot in the Torah where it says, you need to do this one thing because it reminds you of everything. So that's pretty interesting idea. Okay. That's why I've sort of dwelled on this. Like, why would one thing remind you of everything, right? Why this one thing? It makes sense um, if, in fact, the Torah posits that and we understand that, then it might make sense why this paragraph is the third paragraph of the Shema, because it's then about how you remember to keep all of the mitzvot. We'll come back to that point when we talk about the sequence in the Shema. Okay, Um, so then we have the sign-off line. I am Hashem, your God, who took you out of the land of Egypt to be your deity. I am Hashem, your God. Why do you think, again, let's just stick with the pshat in the Torah, right? Forget about why it's part of Shema. But why do you think that sentence is there? How does that, does that flow in any way from where this thing, this fringe with a blue thread, so that you will remember all the mitzvot? Why does this then say, why do you think the Torah then says, I'm the Lord your God, took you out of the land of Egypt to be your deity? It goes back to Sinai. Okay, but yes, but I'm just saying why. What, why what, what's, how does that connect to what we, in the sentences that we read before? I, I, I'm saying, interpret for me what the text's flow of ideas is. Terry, you want to, or you want to think about it, or you want to take another crack? I'm going to think about it. Okay, Michael? Well, I thought that it was, it was, again, to establish God's bona fides so that there would be a reason for doing what was said in the prior sentences. Right. It's the authority of who's commanding it, is what you're suggesting. Yes. Yeah. Which is interesting, then, because I would just say, oh, well, then why don't you have that for every single commandment of the 613 commandments in the Torah? Right? So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disputing you. I'm just saying, okay, but why... This one, why in this paragraph? We don't, you know, it doesn't say uh, uh, let the mother bird go before you take the eggs because I'm the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt. Right. 
Bernie, it, unmute. You got, yeah. It seems to me that this is such a focal point in our history where we were taken from slavery to freedom. Yes. And, and, it relate, and, and so any other commandment uh, that we have, you know, remember, the, that's the authority. Remember what I did for you. So this is what I want you to do. Remember me. Remember this moment. Yes, I agree. But I'm, I'm, I'm asking, so why does that particularly get hooked to this mitzvah, given that? Because if that were the reasoning, then it would say this 613 times in the Torah after each commandment. And it doesn't. By the way, that in itself would be an interesting study because there are many mentions of the Exodus. I'm God who did the Exodus. Be a very interesting study to look at throughout the whole Torah. When is that said? What passages is that linked to? We don't have time to do that today. Larry. But, so I'm just asking, but why this one? Larry, unmute. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm also- and Jeff, then Mike. Yep. I'm also going to disappoint you by not answering the question. I want to, but I just want to point out we're responding to two, and I think there should be three separate questions. And the one is, you're asking why is it connected to CC? I can't help it. I can't help you. Others are answering why it's connected to taking us out from Egypt. And I want to point out, it's focusing on Ani. Um, and it has the name. We don't like to think about the Tetragrammaton as a name. Yeah. Yeah. Lord. And it's saying this particular name of God as opposed to any other name of God. Okay. By that. Okay. You're, you're throwing in another question. Okay. Fine. That's fine. Happy to do that. Jeff, you had a thought? Unmute. Unmute. We can't hear you. You look unmuted, but we can't hear you. Your microphone is not on. We cannot hear you. I'm going to let you work on it. Um, there were, uh, uh, Jeff, say something. No, we can't hear you. Sorry. Ilana. Yeah, I'm um, not sure I can express this coherently, but um, so the reference at the end is to God who freed us, right? Yeah. So God without whom we would not have been freed. Yeah. Um, and and we're supposed to remember this, and it's immediately after the the discussion of not being, you know, seduced or led astray yep. Yep. to the, um, um, oh, let's just say, service of some other alien, illegitimate pagan deities. Pagan. Hmm? Pagan Canaanite deities um, in context. So here's, you know, here's what I could do. And here's what I did do for you. And, and no, I know what I wanted to say. So if God is saying that you should not be led astray, that suggests something about, you know, well, because I freed you, you actually have the freedom to, you know, to wander off. Yes. There's a kind of irony in that. Right. If, if we were tethered to God, like, you know, the parents who have the leash on the kid in Disneyland, then we wouldn't worry. Then you don't worry about the kid running off. Right. You don't have to say. Right. If your kid is tethered to you, you don't have to say stop at the corner and don't cross the street. OK, but because yeah. there is free will, because there is freedom, B'nai Israel might wander because they do have eyes and a lev, They might wander off 
Yeah. Okay. So this is the authority. I want you to be, which then relates back to, I think, not so much the idea of tzitzit, but tzitzit is a reminder of all the mitzvot. I think right. is all right. right? So if you're going to be like a nation of priests, or I want you to wear my uniform to show that you're in my service, right? Who is the I who's commanding that? What's the big picture? I am Hashem who wants you to stay on the path because I'm the one who took you out of the land of Egypt. For what purpose? Liot lachem lelohim, so that I would be your deity, right? We yeah. get very theological, right? So that you would be covenanted to me. Okay. Mike, have something you want to add? No, I was going to say that it, it may also be that, that, uh, that Hashem simply uh, anticipated that there would be some pushback on this. Not, maybe not, it, it may not be as irrational seeming as shatnas, but it's not something that a person would normally think to do. Okay. It's not like a commandment that really restates something that you would expect people to to adhere to anyway, like not to not to not to murder and not. So to you're st- saying it it actually is used as a reinforcer of the importance of tzitzit, a, a commandment that otherwise might be yes. neglected because it doesn't seem to embody the whole big picture. Yes, I'm 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 bending what you said a little. Right. There are other mitzvot which seem to embody the whole big picture, like have a do the Passover lamb every year so that you remember that I took you out of Egypt. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me, superficially. That's hard to argue with. But wear these tzitzit so that you will remember that I'm the God who took you out of the land of Egypt is a harder connection. So it, it kind of re- emphasizes the importance of keeping it. Okay, Terry, we're circling back to Terry, who's had more thought, more time to gather her thoughts. Excellent. Go ahead. So I, um, I just want, I, I, um, when I originally said... Um, uh, Sinai, um, the Dagesh for me, and I wasn't, I, I wasn't adequately able to express it. Thank you, Michael. You just helped me. Is that by putting for me by putting that line at the end of this paragraph, it brings me back to um, Asarata Dibrot, the Ten Commandments, Sinai. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so even though you could say, oh, well, it's not there. Yeah. We're not obligated to wear seat in Asarata de Brot. By yeah. putting that line there, it's emphasizing, as Michael just said, that it we have to really pay attention to this. This is very important. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. Meyer. Uh, a few thoughts. One is, I think it's interesting that it's following discussion of remembering all the laws that we say that when we're, I'm the one to go out of the land of Egypt, one could assume that once I'm being freed from Egypt, you can free of all burdens. But uh, the truth is, is that freedom with no rules, and no laws is chaos. Yes. So basically, this is instructing us that real freedom comes with a set of rules. Yeah. So which is, called, that, which is called mitzvotai, all my commandments. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's there's an absolute connection between those two things in the sense that I brought, took you out of land Egypt, but it wasn't to do nothing or not yeah. to have any commitments or to be completely, you know, uh, devoid of uh, yeah. of uh, rules. But in fact, with a very set set of, set of rules, which in the end gives you different kinds of freedom. The other thing I wanted to mention is I want to go back to Larry's question and point, which I think is really interesting because it starts with Ania Shemelokechem, right? And then it goes that, and then which of course connects us right to the Shema. 
So yeah. in the sense that it is the same descriptor, again, yes. of, of defining Hashem that way. Yes. And it links the back to the top. And then you only, and then I'm going to introduce. Do you know what that's called? Meyer, do you know what Bible scholars call that in Latin? It's a curator. In, inclusio. Inclusio, oh, okay. Inclusio <laughs> means sort of uh, the literary form, basically a literary form of parentheses. Got you it. Mark the beginning and the, or just like in uh, Spanish, the inverted question mark, right? It, it's, there's something at the beginning and at the end, which pulls it together. Now that's interesting because the inclusio isn't in the Torah, right? Because this is from right. the Midbar. It's from a different book of the Torah than the beginning of the Shema. The inclusio is cre- conceptually, the conceptual, sorry, the literary inclusio is created by whoever put the Shema together in sequence, okay? Um, and the, the I am Hashem, your God, Hashem, your God, is then stands at the beginning and at the end, which pulls it all together. Okay, it go exists ahead. Twice. I interrupted you. It's okay. I was going to say, I mentioned it exists twice. Yeah. Because one, you have it from the very beginning of the Shema to the very end. Yeah. But we also have it around Asher Hotzeti Yechamer Tzitzrayim. Yeah. Right? So in the sense, I think that phrase is being highlighted as a definition, not just for this one, this portion of the Shema. Although, where do we have Asher Hotzeti Yechamer Tzitzrayim before? What are you referring to? No, no, no. I so see you said, Ani Hashem Lokechem. Yes. On both sides of yes. Asher Hotzeti Yechem. Yes. So, which to me seems to be highlighting that as a distinct, as something that's meant to be a definitional almost of the whole Shema. Yes. Good. Okay. By the way, um, Rabbi Sharon Brous talks about this a lot, um, that the emphasis on the memory of Egypt, she, she would say the foundational, oh, by the way, I don't, I don't, I don't think she's original in saying this, but she says it a lot. It's sort of, uh, you know, they say about most rabbis, they really have only one sermon and they give it over and over again in different forms. They have one core idea, right? So her sermon, uh, I don't think she'd mind that I say this about her, is the fact that you were slaves in Egypt and you were released from there needs to be the foundational psychological event as a nation that imbues everything you do from then on, right? It's how it is supposed to shape you again, in terms of empathy for others who are oppressed. The fact that you were a slave and God brought you out of Egypt, that more than Sinai or inheriting the land or anything else needs to be the core psychological, theological thing that shapes your mission as the Jewish people. Okay. So I just want to, so it's interesting. It's linked here to Exodus. By the way, Terry, did Terry lead? Terry had to go. No, she's down there. Oh, she's there. We just can't see her. Terry, sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to argue with you a little bit. I'm going to argue with you a little bit. I just want to point out there is a choice that's been made here, which is it's not linked to Sinai or commandments. I mean, it says keep all the mitzvot, but it's linked to what, what experience is it linked to is Exodus in particular. Although you might say it links Sinai to Exodus because all the mitzvot is Sinai. I'm speaking for you now. And Terry is nodding her head saying, okay, that's good. Close enough for government work. Is what she 
Okay. Any other thoughts about that? Alan? Um, yes. The, uh, maybe to the defense of Terry in this regard, regarding Ten Commandments, because the rabbis at one point wanted to link the Ten Commandments as the requirement to said to right by the Shema and what was taking place. And I know there was a machloket about taking out the Ten Commandments. Yes. Because they didn't want to make it too specific when they said these these words. They didn't want it limited to the Ten Commandments. But it seems to be, among other reasons, I'm sure, and you can talk more about that. But just the notion that the Ten Commandments and the Shema were very much linked. And maybe it's because that they were focusing on Yitziat Mitzrayim in... Um, in the third paragraph of the Shema, that maybe the rabbis felt it was important to include the Ten Commandments as well to show the the classic midrash of physical freedom um, uh, is is not enough. You have to have the spiritual freedom of of Sinai of the mitzvot. Good, thank you. Although it may be that the real reason that the Ten Commandments were eliminated from the daily service was because uh, I think we've talked about this a few months ago because of uh, the, the variety of Jews who were called Jesus followers, right? Who might've believed that you keep the 10 commandments, but you don't need to keep the other mitzvot. So the 10 commandments, the Aserat Hadibrot were actually de-emphasized in the Sidur. They were removed from the daily prayer service. I don't want to say they were ever in the Sidur, they were, but uh, um they were removed from the obligatory daily service, which was in the temple, right? In the temple, they said the Ten Commandments, but then they stopped saying it. Okay, but we're going to leave that aside. But thank you for, for, for bringing that in. So I guess now that, so I want to restate my question now that we've had a lot of answers. I guess my question was, and I'm not asking it again. I'm just, you've helped me reframe it. Is the mention of Exodus here linked somehow to Tzitzit or is it only linked to keep all of my mitzvot? Where is the flow of ideas? Where tzitzit, it reminds you of all the mitzvot, which then reminding you of all the mitzvot is linked to um, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt rather than tzitzit itself in any way being linked in Exodus. So there's two ways of really asking the question of why is the Exodus here? What's the connection? Um, Vered, I think you want to say something. Unmute, please. Yes. Hi. Um, I wanted to look at it in a very sad thing, in the idea that Yetziat Mitzrayim and all what come, all what came before, and the crossing of the Red Sea, is a very mighty, powerful thing that God you know, show it's it, it's something big, you know. Yes. Um, yes. So I am the one that I'm commanding you to do mitzvot. I am the same person, if I can say the same yeah. person that did all of these miracles for you. And so I will be the God for you. So it's the question, did Hashem, did he do it to show his greatness and be the God? Yes. Or did he do it because they were slaves and they had 
a difficult time and yes. all yeah. of that of what happened. Yes, yes. Right. We'll let the question hang there. By the way, I just want to add to that then. Slaves who then become elevated to be Mamlechet Kohanim Vigoy Kadosh. Slaves who then wear the, 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 end up wearing the thread of the royal purple. Right? It's a great, so transition, a great irony. Said, Correct. Yes. A great irony of the, of the low becomes the high. Right? Yes. The, the slaves, the bedraggled slaves fleeing Egypt then become the ones who wear a little thread of this expensive, fancy dye that is a marker of high nobility and the Kohen Gadol. And the Kohen Gadol, exactly. Yeah. Ilana? Yeah, I, this is just a, just a poetic observation, I guess, in a way. What Vered was saying about the, the, the hugeness of the miracle mm-hmm. that, that's yes. alluded to, not to mention the fact that there's a connection to the sea, right? Then you have, um, for us, the most intimate, even though it's from this expensive, uh, you know, fabric, the purple, still it's a tiny blue thread. Yes. The the smallness of it, in a way. Mm -hmm. It's like this um, interesting connection. Yes. Contrast. Yep. It is poetic. Um, Now, halachically, uh, by the way, and I didn't say after Rosh Chodesh, I think my plan then is now that Safaria has everything in Hebrew and a lot in English, um, I'm going to bring in some of the halachic sources from the Shulchan Aruch about how we say the Shema, you know, Shema choreography. And we'll also have the opportunity to talk then about tzitzit choreography. So we'll do the halachic stuff about like how you're supposed to say the Shema. We'll do that after uh, Rosh Hashanah. We'll do that in the month of Kislev, I guess. Um, um, so halachically, why this paragraph is here, uh, the, the you know, Mishnah and Talmud seem to say, is because it is an obligation to tell or recall, speak of, the exodus from Egypt daily and saying the third paragraph of the Shema fulfills that requirement. Actually, if you look in the Mishnah and Brachot, it says there's a position that this paragraph was only said in the morning, but not in the nighttime Shema, which means early on at some point, there were those who said that the Shema has three paragraphs in the morning, but you only say two paragraphs at night because there was a halachic position that the requirement to mention the exodus from Egypt is only a daily daytime requirement, right? Not a nighttime requirement. How do we know that that was a dispute? We all know that because we have all, if we have ever paid attention- if we've ever paid attention, Alan, at a Passover Seder, we know that was a dispute. Alan, what does it Seder. say in the Passover yes. Seder? Uh, well, this is, uh, Ben Zoma said, I never knew why we said the Shema. Well, other, other, other way around, with right, start, wait, you started wrong. Elazar Ben Azaria said, I says, I'm like 70 years old, and I never understood the halachic why? basis of why we have to say Yitziat Mitzrayim, why we have to talk about the Exodus at night, meaning meaning it is our practice to say it at night, but I never understood the halachic reason. 
Alan go on until who explained it to him? Yeah. Who explained until, it to him? Uh, uh, ben, ben Zoma. Right. Uh, ben Zoma explained it to him. And it, 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 it how do you explain I, it to him? I remember when I first learned. How do you explain it to him, Alan? Finish. Explained to them that he explained it to him by saying that um, the the exodus um, uh, that occurred it said during on, during the night uh, during the night as well right. and there, during the night and therefore since the focus is going to be on Yitzhak Mitzrayim we can say the 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 focus of this prayer is notwithstanding that you wear tzitzit. The focus of the prayer is not tzitzit. The focus of the prayer is Yitziat Mitzrayim. So we say it at night because yes. Yitziat Mitzrayim it occurred during the night. Right. And Ben Zoma says he learns it from the phrase, you should recollect the excess from Egypt, kol yamei chayecha. If it just said yamei chayecha, the days of your life, yeah. it would mean the days because it says kol yamei all the days, which is an extraneous word. This means days and night, meaning at that point, there is an un, let's just put it this way. There's an uncertainty, okay, or an ambiguity about whether or not we should speak of the Exodus at nighttime and what is the basis for that. And the Mishnah reflects that in saying that uh, the position that you only say this paragraph in the morning, okay? So once upon a time, maybe... The, the morning paragraph was three, the morning Shema was three paragraphs. The uh, nighttime Shema was two paragraphs. Okay. And that changed because it came to be accepted that we sit, talk, teach of, we recollect the Exodus from Egypt morning and night every day. But halachically, just to scroll back to the beginning of what I said, um, the halachic reason, I'm not talking about the conceptual reason. Okay, but the halachic reason that is given um, for why this, why do we say this paragraph at all? Okay, the halachic reason that's given is this fulfills our daily obligation to talk of the Exodus in Egypt, which means if you do the minimal statutory prayers, okay, the Shema and the Amidah. Okay, um, this paragraph is where you fulfill your daily obligation to remember the Exodus, commemorate the Exodus by speaking of it, right? So minimal, because you would say, oh, in the Sidur, don't we have lots of other prayers that mention the Exodus? Don't we have all of Ezra Avotenu and Micha Mocha, which we're about to read after the end of the Shema? So to which the answer is, that was probably not originally part of statutory prayers, right? Statutory prayer was Shema and Amida. And, and here is where you fulfilled your obligation to talk about the Exodus every single day by saying the third paragraph of the Shema. Originally, perhaps only during the daytime and then eventually but in, by Talmudic times, day and night. Okay, I want to respect time and we're going to stop. So what we haven't gotten to, um, and maybe we can incorporate this in our Rosh Chodesh class also is um, next Tuesday is what is the flow of ideas in the Shema by which I mean, let me leave you with the question this way. If the purpose 
was to get in a paragraph and the core prayer that the Jew would say every day to get in some mention of the Exodus from Egypt. There are lots of mentions of Exodus from Egypt in the Bible. There are lots of places, plenty of passages in Deuteronomy where it says, remember that you were a slave in Egypt. So why was this particular passage, the one about tzitzit, the one that was picked to be in the Shema. If the Shema needed to have some mention of Exodus, because the Jew will say the Shema every day, this will be part of the minimum prayer. We want the Jew to mention the Exodus every day. There were many, many passages that could have been chosen. Okay, many alternatives. Why this one? So I'm going to leave you with that question. Why this one for the Shema Dafka? Meaning, what does this, how does this paragraph function in the flow of ideas in the Shema from first paragraph to second paragraph to this one? So that is the question for thought that I'm going to leave everyone with, which we will get to uh, talk about some next week and maybe some the week after if we run out of time. So everyone have a good day. Stay healthy. Be Torah. Thanks for joining us. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.